all right, well, it is going to feel a little bit different today. I know if, if you're like me, you're a creature of habit. Uh, you're used to, well, there's this many songs, and then they usually pray then, and then I can expect a, a sermon to be 15 or 20 minutes, or if Tyson's preaching 30 to 45 minutes, and uh, that's, uh, that's not going to be the way it is today. We're so excited because we are united for one reason. If you think about the church, if you step outside of it for just a minute, how strange is it that we are together today? It really is kind of odd, if you think about it. I look out and I see, I see children, I see young children who are ready to learn and, and be prepared for the future, but I also see people who are teachers, who teach for a living. I see people who, who, who work the ground and, and, and work the land to, to earn a living, and I see people who are uh, uh, people who, who are in the medical field, and, and we're just all so very different, and we're all here together. And, and what is it that unites us together? It's the fact that we have been adopted, adopted children of God. And I know so many of you on, on sometimes a very superficial level, or, or I'll know perhaps how you vote or what you had to eat for dinner last night because of social media. But the very thing that unites us, Jesus Christ, sometimes I, I realize, I look out and I I don't know your story. I don't know how you came to, to the knowledge of, of Jesus Christ and, and the, the saving power of, of, of his blood. And, and that's why we're here together, right? To, to celebrate. And I don't know that part of you. And I, I teach your children back here, and I realize there's a lot of folks who, who don't know my story or don't, don't know how I came to be part of this family. So today we're going to celebrate uh, Jesus together, and we're going to give everybody who wants to an opportunity to come up and share their Jesus story. Now, you don't have to, and there's some people who have already said, me, 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 I want to come up here and share today. So we're going to um, uh, let, uh, Linda's going to be coming up here in a little bit, Linda Bracken's going to share, and then um, we're going to allow the children to be dismissed to go to Children's Church after our second testimony, but then it's going to be open up to you, and uh, whoever, whosoever will would like to come and give a reason for the hope that's within them. I'm going to give you a reason for the hope that's within me. And Tyson said to make sure that I keep it short, and I didn't bring notes, so, uh, <clears throat> so I've got some things stacked against me, right? Uh, but I, I would love to tell you the reason for the hope that's within me. My story is uh, a story of the aggressive pursuit of God's love for me. Um, and you may think, well, he's going to start off this way, and I, I know how this story's going to go, but I think there's, just like you, there are surprises in my story. My mom was 15 years old when uh, she found out she was pregnant with me. So you know that my, my story's going to go on, things are going to be a little bit difficult. But I'm not going to talk to you about so much the difficulties, as I'm going to talk to you about the people who came into a really desperate situation and spoke hope to me, and spoke hope to our family. So as you can imagine, uh, my, you know, my dad was 18 and my mom was 15 when they found themselves that they were going to be parents. And praise God, my mom, at 15 years old, had to make a very courageous decision, uh, one that's far more difficult than probably any decision that I'll ever have to make. She said, I'm going to love this child, and I'm going to endure the ridicule, and I'm going to endure the shame. I'm going to love him. I'm going to sacrifice 
at least the next 10 years of my future for this child. So my story is not a woe is me or how could my mom or dad have done this. I'm just so thankful to be here, to be honest, and to be able to be up before you today. Well, my grandfather, he was, what blows my mind now is that my grandfather was, I believe, 44 when I was born, and I turned 44 uh, next month, and I've, he was always the old guy in my eyes, so, and I'm getting ready to be that old guy, that, that, that grandfather, and uh, he had served the Lord, grew up in a, a Church of God family in West Virginia with a, a father who was a pastor, and, and, uh, but he had walked away from the Lord for about 20 years, and when I was born, he looked over at my grandma, Iva, who my, one of my daughters is named after, and he said, there's nobody to tell that boy about the Lord. And that Sunday, he said, we're going to church, and I'm going to stop drinking, and I'm not even going to smoke cigars. And my grandma thought, I'll believe it when I see it. How many people have, have decided to give up something, or even for our, our, our fasting period here, our 21 days of fasting, said, I'll give up something, and maybe gave it up for two days, and then went back to tacos, or whatever it was you decided you were going to give up. But some of you look at your spouse, and you're like, you know what, we're going to make a big change. Like, okay, again, we're making that big change yet again. And believe it or not, that guy, who had become really an, almost an alcoholic, from that day, he... He practiced what he preached. He walked away from that life. And every, every Sunday, uh, he came and picked me up, and he took me to church dutifully. And I never saw him take another drink. I never saw him smoke another cigar again. But every Sunday, no matter where I was, he came and picked me up and took me to church. He enrolled me at Liberty Christian School, where I'm the board president now. Because he wanted to make sure that during Monday through Friday, somebody was telling me about Jesus. And he wanted to make sure Sunday was covered too. He always said, if you're ever afraid, call me and I'll come get you no matter where you are and no matter what's happening. Isn't it a blessing to have someone like that in your life? To say, no matter what, if you are afraid, let me tell you, as, as someone who ministers to children, there's nothing more powerful, not a more powerful promise that you can give a child than to say, if you're afraid, you call me. Because children get afraid. Adults get afraid too, don't we? But children, where do they go to? Who do they talk to when they're afraid? My grandfather taught me to talk to Jesus when I was afraid. And so there were times when I would call him. There were more times I would go to my Lord. But I'll tell you, it wasn't until I was older that I really came into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Jesus was my friend when I was a child. When I was presented with a gospel message, I thought, well, sure, who wouldn't want this? And back then, the real pressure was to get you saved when you were like four or five. And, and they'd say, if you just ask Jesus into your heart and you can go to heaven. And I hate that. I, I, I don't think we should tell children to ask Jesus in their heart so they can go to heaven. It doesn't say that in the Bible, it's, it, and I don't want to get on a soapbox here, um, but it's about understanding that, that I'm a sinner, right? And that I need to repent, yes? And that God sent his son as a sacrifice for me, yes? And that I can accept that gift and be saved. There's more to it than just saying, 
Jesus, I want to go to heaven. Everybody wants to go to heaven, right? But when I was five years old, I, I made that decision, and, and uh, I felt like Jesus became my friend. Now, my, my uh, grandfather had three children, my mom, and, and uh, he had uh, the two, two sons, my two uncles. And sometimes, my mom, being a single mom, uh, we'd have to go to uh, babysitters quite often. And uh, I always hated it when she sent me to my Uncle Ethan's house, because my Uncle Ethan's house was total chaos. And I don't mean it was messy. I mean, you went there and you didn't know what you were going to see. Uh, there was alcoholism in our family. There was drug abuse in our family. And, and you could see it all on full display at Ethan's house. And I really, really grew to despise him because when I went there, I did not feel safe at all. I felt scared. There were more than one occasion when the police would show up and break things up and and uh, they would have to say, we need somebody to come pick up this child because his uncle's going to jail. And I, as I look back and I do think, Mom, out of everybody in the world, this was the babysitter? <laughs> you know, that, and, but, you know, if anybody who's a single parent, you understand. You know, Mom's trying to go to nursing school at night. She's working at, at Noble Romans, and, uh, you know, until 11 o'clock at night. You've got to find somebody. And it always somehow fell on me. I was visiting my grandparents when it was time to come get Ethan out of jail. I don't know how that, that happened, but I was always in the car when it came time to get Ethan out of jail again. And just like I was mentioning earlier, how, how sometimes you think you make a decision and you're going to change your life, well, we would hear that from Ethan all the time. Mom, Dad, I'm not going back to jail this time. This time I'm going to come out and everything's going to be good. And we heard that for, you know, up until he was about 30 years old. And I'd get in the car with them, and they go, oh, son, we're so glad to have you back. And, and uh, he would immediately want to do what everybody who gets out of jail wants to do. Anybody, if you've been to jail, I haven't been to jail. I, I don't know why I led with that. If you've been to jail, raise your hand, everybody who's been to jail, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, everybody. No, if you have been to jail, that's fine. This is the best, this is the best place to be. Uh, you want to get fast food. That's what you do when you get out of jail. You want to go get something to eat. And we would go to, he always wanted to go to Hardee's. And so we'd go to Hardee's. And, and then, of course, he got out of jail. And he got in trouble again because that felt like that's all he knew to do was to how to be a criminal, right? Well, it came time again. I was about 13 years old. He gets, uh, he, he comes out of jail with his little bag. But this time he looks different. I had heard one of his old friends had come in and shared the gospel with him. And I heard that he was saved. But as a 13-year-old as a Christian school Sunday, uh, you know, Sunday school kid gr growing up in the faith at the, the wise age of 13, I had it figured out that this just wasn't going to take, that criminals don't really get saved. They just like to talk about it. But he came, that was my thought, but he came out of jail, and he sat down, and he was not talkative. He had this look on his face that I'll never forget, and he instantly welled up in tears, and as they drove away, he turned around and said, there's just nobody to tell those men about Jesus. Whoa, maybe this time it's for real. 
And he said, I've got to go back and tell those men about Jesus. And as soon as they got home, they started calling the jail again. He said, you, you can't go back to jail. There has to be at least a 90-day a period before we're going to let you come in as like a visitor. And his heart was broken again because his life had been radically changed. But still, I thought, we'll see. Let's give it some more time. But that man was so on fire for God, he came back to me and said, I know you're going to church on Sunday, but did you know that our church has a youth group and you should probably be going to prayer meeting? And I started getting angry. I thought, who are you, new babe in the faith, you know, at 13, uh, to tell me I should be going to youth group? But I also realized his life was completely changed by an encounter with Jesus. And my life was pretty much the same. I thought that because I had a difficult childhood, that God was somehow more endeared to me. I was more, somehow more endeared to God, right? I thought because my life was more difficult, perhaps God already loved me more. And I thought that because I went to church on Sunday and someone took me to church, I had a, a grandfather who loved me and took me to church every Sunday. I went to a Christian school that that's what made me saved. But ladies and gentlemen, that is not the truth. Although I knew about the truth, I had good, a good man leading me to the truth. I had great Sunday school teachers. Every Sunday, I was not saved. And I realized that when my life was juxtaposed against my Uncle Ethan's life, who had a radical change. And as I worked through that anger, I sat by my bed that night, and I, I realized I'm not saved. God's been my friend, but he hasn't been my savior. And I made Jesus my savior. And then Ethan came and picked me up wherever I was and brought me to church on Friday nights for youth. And then Sunday morning we had church, and also we had Sunday night, and we also went to church on Wednesday. Anybody, people are nodding their head like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you must have been Pentecostal too. It was uh, <laughs> Pentecostal at the time. And then we even had prayer meetings. We would have like five services a week. And no matter where I lived, he came and found me and took me to each one of those. He intervened in my life. And he didn't just do it once. He did it five days a week. And he did go back to the jail. And he had a powerful jail ministry there. And his salvation did take. He led many people to the Lord. We would actually be in the car together. He would pass a hitchhiker and he would say, I need you to pray right now because we need to see if the, the Holy Spirit wants us to, to pick up this hitchhiker. And I was like, no, the Holy Spirit always says no to hitchhikers. The Holy Spirit, the answer is always no. Do not pray. Do not pray right now. And I've never seen that before. He's like, no, I, I feel like the Holy Spirit would lead me not to pick up this hitchhiker, but he's, but you know, this one. And he would pick them up. He would take them to his house. He would clean them up. He would give them a bed. He would introduce them to a, a homeless ministry. And it was radical. And I saw, when I saw that in my life, I thought, that's the kind of faith I want. I want that faith. I want that kind of faith. I don't want it just to be something I do once a week. 
I want that to infuse every part of my life. He was such a, a good man. He, whenever he would wrap his arms around you, he'd pray for you, and he would say, thank you for this one, Lord. I would encourage you to do that with your children. I do that with mine sometimes. I say, thank you for this one, Lord. And I felt so special until one day a man came to the altar and he wrapped his arms around him. I heard him say, thank you for this one, Lord. Well, hey, he's thankful for all of them. But then I realized that that is the heartbeat that we need. Thank you for this one, Lord. I was working at Jimmy's Dairy Bar in Pendleton. Anybody ever been to Jimmy's in Pendleton? Have the tangerine and ice cream there? That was my first job when my grandmother walked away with tears in her eyes and she just said, Ethan died. I was flabbergasted. He, he had had a back surgery and he just, he had, I knew he had a hard time healing from it, but he had trouble and he just, the Lord took him. And then instantly I thought about his nephews. And I thought about, I was the oldest cousin. You know, my mom being 15, that'll do it, right? Um, and I thought about the children that were coming up in the next generation. And I thought, who's going to tell them about the Lord? There's nobody to tell them about the Lord. And that's when my journey in youth ministry began. I went back to the jail that <clears throat> Ethan had preached in to try to continue that ministry. I was very uncomfortable. I remember I brought a picture of him in a frame. And the guard said, you cannot bring this picture in here. And I go, why? And you can't bring that pencil. You know, the, the prisoners could break it, and they could slit your throat, and they could stab you with a pencil. Oh, I think he was trying to scare me, but it is true. If you go to a, yeah, a prison ministry, you've got to bring paper. You can't, a paper picture, you can't bring an actual frame. But I went in there so uncomfortable. As a, I believe I was 18 years old at the time, and I've shared his story, and occasionally I'll go back to the, the prisons and share that story but I realized after doing prison ministry for a while that that wasn't my burden that wasn't the burden that the Lord gave me the burden that the Lord gave me was for children but it is such an honor to be able to tell his story because his story is our story because it's a story of complete transformation when we're encountered when we have an encounter with Jesus Christ and I, I want to be very clear. I love my grandfather, but it wasn't because of my grandfather that I'm, I'm able to stand before you today and, and share my testimony. It wasn't because of Ethan. It was because of Jesus Christ. And because of Jesus Christ did a wonderful, powerful thing in those men's lives. They felt compelled to share what Jesus had done in their life to share with me. And that's my challenge to you. God doesn't need us. He doesn't. He chooses to use us, and what an honor. Just as I, I no longer go to the prison, uh, the local prison, Jay Harvey does. He's not my, no, no relation, but he has a great job, has a powerful jail ministry over there. That's that's who God's ordained to be over there. And just as you would, the, the thought, some of you, to, to work back with children is just absolutely terrifying. There are some in here who think, I've always thought I'd, I'd like to do that. I guarantee you, the Holy Spirit is moving on your heart. 
there is somebody or some people that the Holy Spirit is, is burdening you with. And they won't be lost forever if you don't do anything. God will just use somebody else. He will. He doesn't, he doesn't have to use you. Oh, but what an honor it is when he uses you. I would invite you to listen to that still small voice today. And if there is a ministry or a burden that God has put on your heart to answer that call and to talk to those people that God has called you to talk to and share your testimony to those around you, you're going to have an opportunity to come and give a reason for the hope that's in you today. If you came in here and thought today, I'm just going to sit back and chill, listen to some stories, but the Holy Spirit's interrupted your day today, I'm going to invite you to come up here in just a bit. Will you welcome with me Linda Bracken? Linda's going to come tell, share her Jesus story. And so how this will work is I'm, I'm going to stand up here for moral support for folks, and I'm going to be right up here real close to you and uh, to, to help you out if, if you need some help. But I, this is not going to be an interview. We're going to allow you to come and just share your story. And this, this is Linda's story. Well, Richard, it's amazing how close our stories are. But they take a different turn. And that's the reason I brought Kleenex is because if I start crying, <laughs> um, I was born also to an unwed mother. And she was 15, and uh, they couldn't find my father anywhere. He had taken off. I call him my father. <laughs> And um, she was pretty much by herself because she had been raised in an orphanage. And that's a sad story. So um, and also, I think as I get older, I get a, so I'm having, no, I'm not having Alzheimer's. <laughs> <laughs> but um, a doctor and a lawyer got together, and the adoption didn't go through welfare. Uh, they had a couple who had been married and were not able to have children. And um, so I, they adopted me before I was even born. And um, they were waiting to see if I was going to be a boy or a girl. But, of course, their story is they kind of wanted a girl, right? <laughs> and um, so I was so thankful the uh, family was a christian family and um, my mother and father who adopted me were song evangelists in the westland church the whole family both sides of the family were westlands and um, my grandpa and grandma on my dad's side were also song evangelists and my mom's parents were, he was a minister and, um, in the Westland Church. And all of my family, uh, on my dad's side especially, were uh, very much a part of the Westland Church. So I was raised in a Christian home. And my father, who adopted me, was Jesus himself to me. He gave me unconditional love. And I was, and I, of course, I didn't understand that until I got older. 
And um, so when I was seven, they, my mom and dad were pregnant. And we had a young girl, and then four years later, they had a boy. And so I think because I was quite a bit older, um, I was my dad's boy that he didn't have. <laughs> and um, so I was thankful for that. My um, God started taking me, well, I just never knew anything but going to church, like you said, you know, at least three times a week, maybe four or five, or if there was a revival <laughs> every night. And um, so I always, I'm, I'm like Richard, I always felt that Jesus loved me, and I was so thankful for that. So I always tried to please him, but you know, that's impossible to do it all the time. And um, so every time the altar was open, which was just about every service, I was at the altar rededicating my life to the Lord. So when I got to be, um, when I got to be in my, well, when I went to nursing school, I kind of got away from really serving the Lord, and it was just a time of growth for me. So I, um, there are one of those moments again. <laughs> so I was so excited, of course, to be away from home and, and being on my own, found that I couldn't handle it without the Lord. And um, so I, I went to nursing school. Well, then when I got out, uh, I rededicated my life to the Lord more seriously as we usually can when we're older. And um, so I thought I couldn't find a Christian man anywhere that I wanted to marry. <laughs> I dated a few, but... <laughs> and then Norm came along, and that was 48 years ago. Uh, and we have a son and a daughter and are thankful for them. Well, of course, the older I got... And being a nurse, I thought, I want to um, find out a medical history. If I don't find my birth family, at least some kind of medical history. Because I know the doctors treat you differently, you know, depending on your history. So I uh, came in contact with a, a lady that had done the same and was helping others to find their family. And... Um, so I asked her to help me, and one October morning, she called, and she said, Linda, I've just spoken to your mother and uh, your birth mother, and I was amazed. So long story short, in that, um, we were supposed to, because I didn't know what things were going to be like, and so they, uh, she contacted her and said she could write me a letter 
And when I read her letter, I felt so sorry for her because she had been raised in the orphanage and she uh, was apologizing to me for putting me up for adoption. And I, um, I kept telling her as we had a little relationship that she did the right thing. And uh, she just knew, she was told that I would have two dresses if uh, she allowed me to be adopted. And so um, I got to know her and my birth family. Now I have, let's see, three sisters and two <laughs> brothers. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, I'm blessed with uh, family. I, during the time that I was growing up, as I became an adult, I wondered if my birth mom would be a Christian, and I was concerned about that. And so I um, prayed for her quite often. I didn't know where she was or who she was, but I just wanted her uh, to be in heaven with me uh, eventually. So she uh, come to find out in this new family that I had. <laughs> um, I also had an uncle and his, his wife, my aunt, had prayed for me even before I was born. I also found a great-grandfather who was a brethren preacher. <laughs> and, uh, and he had prayed for me before I was born. So... You know, we may be, you may think you're an accident, but God is going to uh, love you. And as you, um, as Romans 8, 28 says, that um, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purposes. God took me through a lot of healing before I found my birth mom. One of them uh, in the Bible was the book of Ruth. And if you remember, uh, Na or, um, yeah, Naomi had gone to a foreign land, and her two sons had married two ladies from that foreign land. I think it was Moabites. And um, when her sons died and her husband died, Naomi told her, uh, her daughter-in-laws to go back home. And Ruth told her, mo her mother-in-law, she said, no, I'm staying with you. Your God will be my God. And that was one of the healing. And I, that's what I had done with the uh, Inert and the Blake family. And so with my mother, I found out that uh, my birth mom, her name was Naomi. How about that? God just is so amazing, isn't he? How he puts stories together. And um, so I had four years with her. She came down to take care of me when I had surgery one time. Um, none of my family made a confession, my birth family, other than those I told you about, my sisters and brother and I'm sorry, one sister was a praise and worship leader in a large church in Minnesota. Um, so anyway, Naomi kept apologizing to me 
that she had allowed me to be adopted and had given me up, and I kept telling her, Naomi, it's great. Mom, it's great. You did the right thing. And um, so one day, my sister from Minnesota, because that's where Naomi lived, and, and my sister, Sherry, was taking care of her. Uh, one day she called me and she says, Mom has Alzheimer's, and I need to put her in a nursing home. So um, we did, she did go ahead and put her in a nursing home. And um, then in the fourth year that I had known them, uh, Sherry called me again and she said, we need to move mom to a new nursing home and it has to be a lockdown. And uh, so we all, my uh, brother and Sherry and myself went to uh, the nursing home where mom was and we were in a little lounge with mom. She was in a wheelchair and uh, she was, she, all she could speak was gibberish. You couldn't understand a word she said. And she would look at you like she knew what was, she was saying, but we sure couldn't tell. And um, so my brother and sister went to their, her room to see what they needed to do to get her ready to leave. And it suddenly dawned on me that I have some time here with my birth mom. And she hadn't really accepted the Lord yet. And don't give up on people just because they have Alzheimer's, okay? Because... I told her, I didn't want to say who I was, because at that point she didn't really recognize who I was. And um, I just said, Naomi, do you know that Jesus sent me to tell you how much he loves you? And she looked at me, remember she was speaking gibberish, and she said, well, I do now, <laughs> just like that. <laughs> and the Lord showed me that she, at that time, when all of her defenses, because men had always abused her all of her life, that, and because God was a man, you know, it was difficult for her. She didn't have Jesus as a dad like I did. And um, so God just showed me it wasn't but a week later that she passed away and uh, he said she's in heaven with me now and I'm so thankful for that she was at um, so anyway that's my story I knew I'd cry before it was over with <laughs> Fantastic. God is uh aggressively pursuing all of us and he never stops that pursuit <clears throat> we wanted to include the children here today for at least the first two uh, testimonies and give them an opportunity to 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 hear from the saints and and to 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 get a taste of of what god has has done in other people's lives not just their their youth workers or their their pastor but to see that that, that god is continually at work in our lives. And we uh, would like to also open it up to, to the children. If there's a child who'd like to come and share your testimony, you don't have to. They're all looking at me terrified. Um, 
but we do want to open that up to, to the kids as well. If so, uh, if there's any kids who'd like to come up and, and share, um, they're welcome to. If not, and I don't see any takers today, we're going to go ahead and dismiss the children. Those children are going to go with uh, Miss Gwen and Miss Stephanie. We can go ahead and, and go out the back there, kids. And, or actually, just follow Miss Gwen. There she is. Miss Gwen is over to my left, your right. If you'd like to go uh, uh, participate with that today, you may. They've got some great activities for you there as well. And as they're on their way out, I will open it up to, to anybody here. If you've been moved today or, or you feel the Holy Spirit moving on your heart to come and share, go ahead and come on up today and, and, and share your story. I see some folks nodding, some folks smiling. I know that the Lord has, has moved on somebody here today to share. Feel free to come on up. There we go. My third grade teacher, Mrs. Casto, ladies and gentlemen. And, <laughs> and Tish as well. Tish is pumping her fist here. Give a, a round of applause to, to Miss Janet Casto as she comes up today. This is such a an, an, an surreal experience for me to have uh, Mrs. Casto here with us today. I remember the first time she walked the door. I said, there's one of my favorite teachers of all time, Mrs. Casto. <laughs> Well, I did not plan to do this at all this morning, so this is purely the Lord's leading. Um, I was born into a Christian home, very blessed by that. Uh, really, I, I have to say, my, my whole family, my, my grandparents, my aunt and uncles, just really been blessed to been placed in a Christian home. But my testimony is going to really center around my teaching experiences, which I know was God planned for my life. I married my husband when I was really young. I was only 18, and he was in the Navy. And whenever he would go overseas on the aircraft carrier, I'd go to Ball State. My transcripts look kind of weird because I'd go for like two quarters at Ball State, and then I'd go to California to be with my husband whenever the ship came in. <laughs> and uh, then after he was out of the Navy, we'd been married about four years and started having our children. We have two daughters, Jennifer she lives in Texas right now with her family, and, and then we have a daughter, Jackie, and she lives in Anderson. So we have one little grandchild uh, with Jackie that we can love on here in this area. Her other grandchildren are in Texas. But um, I was a stay-at-home mom till um, Jennifer was, she's three years older than Jackie, so she was probably in about second grade, and Jackie was in um, preschool, kindergarten age, and I went back to college, and I went, went straight through to finish up then to get my teaching degree. And I subbed for a little while, and we put Jackie at Liberty Christian School. She was there a year, and I started thinking, I think this is where I'm supposed to teach. So I put my application in, and I was hired. And my very first classroom there, I had a group of very, very bright third and fourth graders. They were straight-A kids. And it was just like a little old-fashioned schoolroom. I'd start out teaching Bible of the morning, and then we'd go each grade level, you know, teaching them while the others would work on their lesson. I'd give another one. And um, yes, Richard was one of my students, and Tanisha was one of my students. And maybe I don't think anybody else here had me as a teacher, but I loved teaching. I loved it. It was like just second nature to me. 
But then I'm going to tell you a very odd story that happened after I taught at Liberty Christian. Richard may know this, he may not. Um, I love my students very much, and I think Richard probably sensed that, and Tanisha did. I was a very, very loving teacher. I looked on teaching as a, a really a God's calling, and I did a very, very, very peculiar thing. After I taught at Liberty for 14 years, uh, we were attending Park Place Church of God at the time, and um, the position for uh, director of the Children's Center came open. And I had been taking classes in leadership. I went back after um, even receiving my master's degree in education. I was taking more classes in uh, school administration. And God just put it on my heart. And, and I know, and I will deny it till the day I die, God put it on my heart that I was supposed to put an application in to be director of the Children's Center. And that's very, very odd because if that job opened up, it meant that I was going to break a contract at Liberty Christian. And that was so foreign to my nature. I mean, I would have never in my life dreamed of doing that. But the power was so strong on my life. I just felt like I have to do this. I mean, it was God showed me in many ways that I was taking the right step. And, you know, that job did open up. A gentleman was the director at the time, and he was going to move to Florida. I had never been a principal before. I'd never been an administrator. I was in charge of three-fourths of a million-dollar budget. I had 47 people that were going to work for me there. It was a lot of responsibility. And I thought, I've got to, he's got to mentor me for just a little while before he moves to Florida to help me know this job. And I went to the administrator at Liberty, and, and he said, well, Jan, you, you cannot quit. Because I was on the steering committee for Liberty Christian. I was on a visitation team with Association of Christian Schools International. I went to Kentucky to help a school get their licensing. I mean, I was really a dedicated teacher at Liberty Christian. I was right in there. I was always head of the science fair. I mean, I was like gung-ho Liberty, yay raw. And, and I quit. And finally, the administrator told me, he said, you know, Jan, we're going to agree to disagree because I will never believe that you're supposed to leave. But my pastor at the time just went, and, and we just worked it out. It, it just, I know I broke my students' hearts. I know I did. I gave them these little bracelets at the time. It was so popular. What would Jesus do bracelets? And I gave my students those, and I, I explained the whole story to them. I told them I loved them, but I had to leave. The lady that took my place had been their kindergarten teacher, so, I mean, it was not that they were getting a complete stranger as a teacher. They had the last eight weeks of school left. I'm not saying it was admirable that I broke my contract. I'm not saying that was admirable at all. But I knew I was supposed to do it. I stayed at, as the director, at Park Place Children's Center for four years. It was like my tenure of office. I always laugh and say four years, you know, you're in office. But um, then I started getting a nudging that I was supposed to do something else. And I thought I was supposed to quit this job. So I knew that principal at Yorktown High School at the time and I thought I'm just gonna I'm just gonna end my teaching career as a substitute teacher I mean I I missed being in the classroom because I mean I was, I was really that's probably where my real heart was was being in the classroom with the students and if you if you are teachers you know that it just feels so right to be a teacher when you have that calling and I missed it I really missed being with students so I went over to Yorktown and I subbed all the time. But then it was so peculiar because they kept placing me with situations with special education children. 
I had one little guy that they put me working one-on-one -on -one with. I had Asperger's, and he absolutely could not be in the classroom with the other students. I mean, he could not be. So he just took attendance, and then I taught him the rest of the day. And there just kept being situations like that over and over and over again. So I really felt the Lord's leading that I was supposed to go into special education. And so I went back to Ball State. I was like the, what do you call that? <laughs> the forever student, you know. I was like, I've got so many classes I've taken. It's crazy. It's like past my master's, I've got like a whole other master's, you know, in special education. And um, that's what the Lord really, really wanted me to do was to be a special education teacher. And those four years at Park Place Children's Center was just the bridge because I had led a very protected life. I knew nothing about any kind of racism. I knew nothing about how to deal with some worldly issues that I learned at Park Place. And uh, I did become a special education teacher at Yorktown. I retired five years ago, but um, I retired from teaching at the high school level with, um, it was life skills kids. They were really low. Uh, some of, they were right about that third and fourth grade level, actually, was where I started that level anyway at, at Liberty. And so I was teaching those kids, uh, even though they were, some of them like 20, but they were still in school because you could be a student for special education until you're 22. And um, some of them were right there about that third grade level. And, you know, I'm telling you the honest truth. That's exactly where God wanted me to be. And I had the most precious students that I loved just as much as when I first started being a teacher. And I still pray for some of those kids. I, I will have no idea where um, some of them will end up. Uh, some of them I always felt like were born in the wrong time and the wrong age because some of the guys I taught, believe me, could have been the world's best blacksmith guys or <laughs> like guys that just had skills with their hands. And um, we taught them how to cook and all sorts of cool things that they did. And uh, some of them were really artistic. One boy made uh, jewelry that was beautiful. But they were just kind of born in the wrong time and age for some of them. It was difficult. I thought some of my girls could probably be some of the best workers at a hotel folding the sheets and the towels because they would be perfect if they did it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just, I loved those kids. And, and I knew that's where the Lord wanted me to be. So I, I basically taught 30 years, and it's kind of strange when I look back. And I feel sorry for the kids that I left at Liberty. I wanted to tell you back to that bracelet I gave out to the kids I saw a student's mom after I had quit Liberty for about six years, and she told me that girl never took that bracelet off. Took it through her showers and everything. She just always wore it. And so I, I know I, I really hurt some of those students, and I burned some bridges at Liberty when I left the way I did. But it was God's will. You know, the Lord works in mysterious ways. And I knew I was supposed to be that special education teacher for those precious, precious kids at Yorktown. So, you know, I'm, I got a bum leg right now, so I'm not substitute teaching, but my teaching degree is still good through 2023, and I don't know, though. The last time I, uh, well, the last days I subbed, you know, my hair has turned gray, so I heard these kids in the hallway, and they said, oh, we got an old sub. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my story. Well, Liberty needs subs, so. <laughs> Thank you.
thank you so much. And, and um, Mrs. Casto, I'm, I'm, you'll always be Mrs. Casto. That's how it works. Um, she also did a fantastic job of making my mom feel loved and competent and capable. I'll never forget the first time we had a new car. It was a Chevette. My mom got a Chevette. She was so proud of that car. And uh, I was in aftercare, and uh, Mrs. Casto said, oh, I'm going to stay because I want to see, I want you to show me that that Chevette, Vera. And she stayed after school and waited with me until my mom pulled up, and she pulled up in that brand-new Chevette. And, and Mrs. Castle just did one of these things and was so happy. And uh, that, that was really special to me. I've got all kinds of, of memories, but that's, that's one that really stands out. And, and for those of us that work with children, we, we've got to remember, too, that the ministry extends to the, the parents as well. And, uh, and it's, it's all of our responsibilities to, to, to love each other. And, and that just doesn't just mean the, the, the people that you come into media contact with, but the folks that they, they go home to as well. But anyway, anybody else? Anybody else? Here we go. Come on up. Let's give a round of applause. That's right. Thank you for coming up. Hey, no problem. I don't need a mic. I'm a really loud person. Um, you guys don't know me. It's my second time here. Um, but I'm not going to so much tell you my testimony. It's just tell you, by the way, I'm Tracy, um, the miracles that God has shown me in my life to, to just know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is there for all of us at all times and we just have to call on him. Um, so, okay, example one. <laughs> My daughter, who is now 25 and lives in Seattle, Washington, when she was a baby, was full-blown autistic. She rocked, flipped switches. If you did some, move something out of line, fell flat to the floor, disengaged, didn't speak, um, had a lot of prayer for that child. And by the way, I had my first kid at 19 and had four kids in four years. I had my two kids <laughs> by age 23. Um, so I was a young mom. And so this was all very new and hard and everything. And, you know, I called on God a lot for help. Um, and that, you know, she had therapists that came to our house. And they said, we, my mom went to one day, the therapist, when she was over, and she said, you know, what should we expect from this child? And she said, well, one day she'll live in a group home with other kids, with other people like her, and, you know, things like that. Um, and that was kind of hard to hear as a young mom, that my daughter will someday grow up to live in a group home. Um, and then we were out at, I don't know if you guys ever go out to Greenfield, to, at Riley Days one year. And uh, we were walking around, doing the little stores and things and playing games. And my mom met us there, and she got there, and she said, she said, oh, Kylie, you having fun? And, and Kylie you know, shook her head yes. And she said, she said, you know, what have you done? And Kylie said, I won three prizes today. <laughs> and my mom said, you did what? Because she had never had a concept for numbers at all. And she's like, and that moment was just, all of a sudden, God just flipped the switch. All autism went away. She was completely healed. Um, <laughs> we were busing her to a different school system for moderately mentally handicapped children um, and they contacted us the next week and said we don't know what we're supposed to do with her she's not a moderately mentally handicapped child anymore and so they switched her out of the classroom and put her into two different classrooms so they could make sure she got the extra help 
graduated with honors from high school and is now living on her own in Seattle, Washington. So, I mean, amazing. Um, go a few years, I have four kids, youngest, ten. I want more children for some reason. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> become a foster parent. Stop three more. They're all sitting right there. Um, so, they, I got one when she was four, one when she was 18 months, and the biological mom was pregnant with a third. Um, I had always wanted a little girl named Madison, but I didn't feel like I should do that because my sister lived in Madison, and I thought, oh, she's going to say you're naming a kid after me. you got to be like me. Um, so she comes with the name Madison. I said, can't say names after you. She came with the name. Um, and then for a right, I said, and we had been thinking of, well, you adopt a baby and we get a name. Or, uh, my middle name's Leanne. How can I change my letters around to make another one? Second one came, named Jalen, middle name's Lene, L-E-N-A-E. So I said, wow, that's coincidental. And then, by the way, we asked for one child. <laughs> um, and, okay, back up. The, the call we got was, by the way, you have two beds. And I said, oh, why do you ask? They said we got these two little girls, just the sweetest thing. And then they got into all these problems they had. And um, then they finished the conversation. I said, let me call my husband. I'll call you back. They finished the conversation. By the way, the mom's pregnant. And they hung up. And I said, I like how they added the third one in real quick. Um, but the girls were amazing. We, my husband said, well, honey, you said we were getting into this to help somebody who needs help. Clearly, these girls need help. Let's take them. And so we did, and we were told that the 13, well, the one that will be 13 this month, back there said that she was nonverbal, autistic, headbanger. They ordered her at one minute. Um, she spoke from the moment I got her. She never raised her head. We never went and got the helmet. Um, the social worker asked us, called us a couple weeks in and said, how are the kids doing? We said, good. She, she said, I said, Jalen, I have to speaking now. Madison has already learned all of her numbers, all of her letters, all of her colors, can spell her name. And they said, she's like, these are the same kids I had you pick up from here? And I said, yeah. She said, can I come see them? And I said, yeah. And she's like, this is a miracle. She said, I went with those kids to Riley to get the prescription for the helmet. She was banging her head and biting the doctor at the appointment. And so, I mean, they were just, they were just waiting on me, is what I like to say. I prayed for two years to let my husband adopt, and he kept saying no, he kept saying no. And I think it was because God was waiting for these girls to be ready. Mm. And so, once, once they were ready, my husband said, yes. Mom, fast forward, mom delivered the, the boy right there in November of that year, and she named him Jesse Allen, which is my great so, my dad used to call him his little grandma. Um, <laughs> so, it's, I mean, it's just amazing how God just intertwined all of it to make it fit exactly into mm. my family. Um, yes. Fast forward again, my dad has Alzheimer's, living in a nursing home. He gets kicked out of the nursing home because he's all that Alzheimer's, he thinks he's married to every woman in there. So, they took him out um, and moved him into a nursing home. <laughs> um, 
take insurance, and we were paying $7,000 a month for him to be in that nursing home and then take him out. Whatever. Um, so we get him sent somewhere else that says they have roommates, and we're like, oh, we don't know how he's going to do with that, but we'll give it a, a shot. He moves in, and they said, by the way, don't pay us anything. We think we can get him Medicaid, and we'll file it all, and we'll, we take Medicaid. We never paid a dime to them. So $7,000 a month bill gone. Um, he moves in and they call us and they said, you're not going to believe this. They said he walked into his room and his roommate yells, Tom, what are you doing here? Oh, wow. It was his best friend from when I was a kid. Wow. So he didn't have Alzheimer's. He was just mentally slow and his family had all died, so he needed a place to live. So he lived there and he ended up being my dad's roommate. Mm. So he knew everything going on. So he would keep my dad entertained. He'd have people come pick them up, take them out, do things. But I really think that was God making sure somebody was there because in May, we got a call on a Monday saying he's sick. On Wednesday, we got a call saying COVID was positive. On Thursday, we got a call that he died. So I think God was just making sure he wasn't alone and that we couldn't be there. He made sure he had best friend at his side when he was able to go since we couldn't. So, I mean, there are just so many points in your life where you think, how could you even, how could you even doubt what he has shown throughout your life? I mean, what's the odds that he's going to have a best friend that's his roommate? What's the odds that she's going to name all her children <laughs> the names that I want my children to be named? What's the odds that my daughter's going to have a miracle and be healed? I, my son has, I have a son who's getting married next week, um, but he has a chromosomal abnormality called Klinefelter syndrome. He will never be able to have children. Mentally, it makes him really slow. He has severe social anxiety, severe depression. He met a girl who also has severe anxiety, severe depression, but she's working on her master's. She's a chemist. She's extremely bright, and they're, but her dad's a nurse. They live with him. He makes sure they're taken care of. Um, they're, I mean, they're getting married next week. Well, when before he met her, he had a lot of issues. Didn't always want to take his medications. We, I had put him in. We were living down in Greenwood. We put him in Bella Vista for a while because um, he needed <laughs> more help than I could provide. Um, and we had had to go to a family therapy one session, and we go to leave the session, and I'm thinking, I feel so. I mean, I don't know how I recovered from this. He just told the therapist if he wasn't afraid of blood, he'd kill me in my sleep. And she said, I'm going to send him home next week. And so I'm very now scared. Um, and we think, I said, I said, I just need a break tonight. And I've, I've got seven kids. One's obviously not at home, but the other six are. And I think, I just need a break tonight. And my husband said, well, let's just go to the drive-thru, get some food, go home. And just talk and relax. We go through the drive-thru and we get there. My orders probably sixty dollars. McDonald's still is seven of them. And we pull up to the window and the guy and the guy says, "Lady in front of me says she wants you to know that God is thinking of you and He's with you at all times and not to worry about this." And they pay for our whole order. And so I'm like, "Thank you, God." <laughs> you know, like I said, only so many things can happen and you can still doubt. So that is my story. That is my miracle. But I will tell you all this. 
still pray for my husband because when some of these things started happening, he wanted to be a pastor when I met him. He won't even usually come with me now. Um, so you can always pray for my husband to sit next to me one of these days. Yeah. So, Absolutely. That's my story. That's my right. miracle. God is here. The enemy will tell you that if you obey God, you're going to miss out on something. But I will tell you, God is a wild man. He's an absolute wild man. And I think you see that, that, that thread through all of these stories of just the world would have things go one direction. But because somebody obeyed, everything changed. Everything changed. And perhaps that's, that's you today. You're waffling on, well, should I do this for God or, or, or should I not? The answer is always yes. And then he's, but then get ready because he's going to take you on a journey that you never thought that you could go on and you couldn't on your own, but he's going to stretch you and he's going to do amazing things in your life that you would have never dreamed, that you could have never been capable of on your own. And it's going to be a, an amazing story that you get to share in a place like this. We have time for one more. Time for one more. And I see a couple of people who have looked and kind of they, I get that eye contact that you're thinking about it. If that's you, feel free to come up. We have time for one more. Going once. Going twice. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for coming today. If this is your first time here, understand this. It's not always... Uh, like this, but we don't apologize for, for this service today. It is, I don't know about you, but it has touched my heart to hear from you, to see what God is doing and continues to do. And there are so many more stories yet in this room, but outside there as well. As, as the negativity of the world will talk about COVID and elections, and, and that takes all of the focus of our lives, it seems. But don't miss how God is working on all of our individual lives. At every single minute, there is not a moment that the Holy Spirit isn't pursuing you and pursuing me and reminding us of just how incredible our Savior is. He's good, isn't he? Isn't God, isn't God good? We haven't had an opportunity to sing today, so let's just go give the Lord a round of applause today. Give him, let's give him some praise. And if you'll all stand with me, we'll pray and be dismissed. Lord, I'm, uh, <clears throat> I'm dumbfounded once again. You've done just some amazing things in my life. I just was able to share just a, a brief story. You've done so many things. If we were to start telling the stories here and just open it up and, and share every single story, we'd be here for weeks. And we forget, Lord, often so easily those answered prayers but not just the answered prayers the the love beyond reason and the ways you've loved us in ways we could have never imagined and the things that you've done through us lord that we knew we couldn't do on our own and it's only because of you and your powerful name that we've been able to to do them to share 
in the love and the mercies and the miracles that you do on our lives on a daily basis. Help us to never take them for granted. And as boldly as some have shared their story here today, Lord, as we go into a world that is confused and scared and lost and dark and dying, don't let us extinguish that light as we leave here today. But to always be ready to share a reason for the hope that is in us. Lord, you are that reason. Thank you for being our reason. We love you. May your name be boldly lifted up this week in our lives, in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions. Until we can come back here again next week and hear about everything that you've done, we'll give you the praise and the glory. In your name we pray, amen.